Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. He's been here. He's been there. Magic down the middle, just what I thought. A hook shot at 12. Good! He's been everywhere. Shot from there and a save and a rebound. Score! Yes, Kings win the cup. Sobel. That's one small step for man. Ted Sobel. One giant leap for man. The man, the myth, the legend. What the hell's going on out here? Now, one-on-one with Ted Sobel. They're on the turn. It's Secretariat is blazing along the first three quarters of a mile in 109 and four fifths. Secretariat is widening now. He is moving like a tremendous machine. Secretariat by 12. Secretariat by 14 lengths on the turn. Sham is dropping back. It looks like they'll catch him today as Mike Gallon and Vice of Prince are both coming up to him now. But Secretariat is all alone. He's out there almost the 16th of a mile away from the rest of the horses. They're in the stretch. Secretariat has opened a 22-length lead. He is going to be the triple crown winner. Here comes Secretariat to the wire. An unbelievable, an amazing performance. He hits the finish 25 lengths in front. An amazing, unbelievable performance by this miracle horse who has today run the most sensational Belmont stake in the history of this race. Fields sent on their way in the Breeders' Cup Classic to the roar of the Santa Anita crowd. Regal Ransom bounced away quickly. Zenyatta is dead last. Zenyatta's dead last early. And now here's Zenyatta, and let's see. Zenyatta has a lot, a lot of ground to make up. Zenyatta, if she wins this, she'll be a super horse. She's starting to pick them off, though. Zenyatta going to hook to the outside. Meanwhile, it's Colonel John Summerbird in the red cap. And Zenyatta's come to the outside. Zenyatta coming, flying on the grandstand side. Gio Ponti on the inside. Summerbird is right there. This is unbelievable. Zenyatta, what a performance. One will never forget. Looked impossible, but it is Zenyatta still unbeaten under Mike Smith. Gio Ponti second, Summerbird, and then Richards Kid. What a dramatic performance. One of the most sensational ever. I got the horse right here. The name is Paul Revere. And here's a guy that says if the weather's clear, can do, can do. This guy says the horse can do. I got the horse right here. And in horse racing terms, I got your daily double right here with two very important episodes of Touching Greatness here on the Believe Podcast Network. Nothing is more serious in sports these days than what's happening at beautiful Santa Anita Racetrack in Arcadia, California. And in these back-to-back podcasts, I speak with Hall of Fame jockey Gary Stevens and longtime Los Angeles Times sports editor and columnist Bill Dwyer. And we get to the bottom of everything that's concerning the sport of racing which has been a passion of mine 
for decades. Remember, the Kentucky Derby is rapidly approaching on the first Saturday in May, but it's just not a normal lead-up to racing's biggest day. And with now 23 horses who have died at the track since the opening of the winter meet in December, we need to get some answers. And I'll get you as many as I can, and we'll certainly investigate via conversation on what the heck is going on over there. Horse racing, one of the great sports in the history of this country. We need to not only keep it afloat, but to find ways to make it grow again with the mainstream sports public. And our first guest is a true great one. I am thrilled to have Hall of Fame jockey, over 5,000 career wins, Gary Stevens. Gary, three-time Kentucky Derby Preakness and Belmont winner. 11 Breeders' Cup wins. You've been in the movie Seabiscuit. You've done it all. You're a broadcaster now. I'm proud of your entire career. But as Bill Dwyer just told us, and I had him on a little earlier, this is a crossroads for the game of racing. Well, it's, it's uh, more than a, a crossroads. It uh, could mean uh, a new start for uh, racing in Southern California, well, all of California, because it involves all of California, and it involves all of the United States, North America, for that matter, uh, or it could mean the end of thoroughbred racing here in California, and it's jumped up quick. Uh, I didn't think I would see it in my lifetime. I saw the, the writing on the wall uh, several years back, um, I, I thought that uh, we were a step of, ahead of it, and obviously we weren't. I, I wanted uh, my children and grandchildren to uh, be able to enjoy uh, the great sport of, of horse racing, and I thought they would. I didn't think I would see it in my lifetime, but it would come up quickly. Okay, so from an experienced view, and for the fan out there or for the person who doesn't know, Gary Stevens was born in a family in horses. Your father was a trainer. You've been a jockey your entire professional life. You've done some training. You know the horses as well as anybody. In your idea, how is this different than what has happened in the past with the deaths of these horses at the track? And was it just not publicized as much? It is a different world out there. I really don't feel that uh, it was uh, publicized enough uh, at the time that we we saw things happening. It was uh, it was kept quiet, and and maybe because of uh, the demise of, of the following that we as a sport, uh, which we created ourselves by uh, other competition in other athletic sports and other entertainment. Uh, in today's world of not keeping up with the times and social media and publicizing good publicity and and really the the millennials uh, really have no idea about our sport and we don't have the publicity uh, that we had in uh, you know from the 40s all the way through the 70s uh, as compared to now I mean come on face it we're we're ranked right there with professional bowling, and uh, and they may even be a step ahead of us as far as ratings go. We, we're seen uh, just a couple times a year on a, a national in-your-house, on your television, on your radio, on your podcast, on uh, whatever 
basis you you choose, and that's uh, the Triple Crown races, which start up in in May. All the prep races are going on right now as we speak, and then of course the uh, the lead up races to the Breeders' Cup, which happens. That's our second half of the year. The, the year is split in two, uh, the Triple Crown races and uh, the, the uh, Breeders' Cup, at the, the World Championships at the end of the year. Otherwise, uh, we're in the dark. I don't know what people think that we don't race uh, in those other times of the year, but we are a year-round sport. And even during downtime, after the Breeders' Cup, jockeys, horses, they, they travel overseas, so... This is a huge industry that doesn't have a following uh, like Major League Baseball, uh, NFL football, soccer, uh, NASCAR, uh, Indy racing, uh, even uh, skateboarding, to that matter, the X Games. I mean, there's a lot of competition out there, and we fail to uh, take care of ourselves in promoting our sport in a, in a good way, not a negative way but a positive way, and all we seem to be getting right now is the negativity, but I blame ourselves for that. But. My father saw War Admiral and World Away win triple crowns in the 30s and 40s, so I got a little, I got a little bloodline myself in this game. I'm 10 years older than you, so I remember the days as a kid. You could go to Hollywood Park or Santa Anita on a Monday, not a weekend, but a Monday, and a grade one race, and you would get 40,000 people out there. The game has not changed. The perception has changed. The idea of the game has changed. We need to change that to the general public. And to me, it's simply education and two words, passion and compassion. To show it for the animals and for the game and to let the people know who are petitioning outside the racetrack, you guys are not out killing horses. This is a part of life. It stuff happens. You're not doing anything in a negative way. We're just living and trying to enjoy a sport. Yeah, and and I mean, you know, it's not talked about our aftercare for these thoroughbreds. It's, it's talked about uh, the deaths of these horses and uh, the mortality rate of, of our uh, equine athletes—they're uh, cared for. The kings and queens are cared for, and you know, their their life expectancy is, is not long. The dogs—we're we're all animal lovers. But even the people that are protesting, the politically uh, inclined people, for whatever their reasons, who love their dogs, who love their animals—they look. Our dogs, they, we know when we get a, a, a young puppy on certain breeds, their life expectancy is only going to be so long. And we deal with it when that time comes. Now, I'm not making excuses for horses breaking down, and that's what we've got to get to the bottom of. What is causing this rash of injuries? I have my, my views on that, and I have my views on what can get us over that hump. That's something I'm sure that we're going to talk about here in a few minutes. Absolutely. Let's talk about specifics. The drugs in racing. I've had long discussions with Ronnie Turcott, the jockey for Secretariat. He has really strong beliefs that drugs have always been more used than necessary in this game. That you're masking injuries that I know everybody wants their horse to run and you want to win. And the bottom line is you want to win money. 
but you also have to care for the animal in its own way. I'm not an expert at that. You are. Let's talk about Lasix and Butte and how you feel that affects what's going on here. Hey, look, uh, I was president for the Jockeys Guild for approximately seven years. Yep. And prior to my retirement and, and my <laughs> second retirement in 2005. <laughs> By the way, and, jo- <laughs> Gary has retired more times than most uh, famous boxers. But go ahead, Gary. Well, uh, what I was going to say is that we have always been advocates, the Jockeys Guild, uh, of, of zero medication. Clear back when Bill Shoemaker yep. was, we had these discussions back in, when, when I became a, a member of the Jockey's Field in 1979 when I was an apprentice, uh, all the way to becoming president. We have always been advocates of zero medication. Look, I, I just had a major surgery. Uh, I had a quadruple fusion of my my cervical uh, in January, and I got out of bed uh, within three hours of this 10-hour uh, surgery, and I couldn't feel anything. I could have ran laps. They were slowing me down, taking uh, walking laps around my ward, and when those pain medications wore off, then I slowed down on my own. And I've, I've ridden horses that I could feel a little twinge in, and I didn't mind it because when that horse could feel that twinge, uh, they would slow themselves down. They would protect themselves. And you start mastering that with medications, and that being due to horsemen, that's all oh, it's only like acid. I say BS. It's not like aspirin. You're massing some pain. Yep. If that horse can't feel the pain, he can't tell me. I have to feel it. And if I don't feel it, I'm going to charge on harder. My job is to win a race. And when things feel right, when, when the airplane, I'm the pilot of the airplane, when things uh, feel right, I'm going to do full gas taking off. I'm going to cruise. And if I need to speed up to keep up with what flight people are telling me, I'm going to do it. Uh, when I'm riding races, I'm making decisions according to what I'm feeling underneath me. If I'm not feeling really what's going on in the skeletal part of the horse, mistakes are going to be, be made, injuries are going to happen. I've been fortunate enough to ride all over the world. The United States is the only, North America's only major racing jurisdiction that has in the past and still does allow race aid medication. They stopped that. Uh, except for the use of LASIK here about 10 days ago in California. You know what? It, I, the results have been amazing to me by certain trainers that we we thought were trainers that were, you know, stepping out of bounds and perhaps uh, taking edges. Uh, and, and now there's no edge to be taken, and these guys were getting better results and I'm not going to mention names, but they got better results <laughs> than they were having with the medication. Wow. So my thought is we've been over-medicating for years with these horses. And um, I, I'm just, you know, I don't know if that makes sense to you about my surgery, but it sure. does with what these horses are feeling or not feeling. I don't mind riding a horse with a sub-toe if, if he feels it because he's not going to try as hard. He's going to do what's within his or her limitations and then protect himself. That's human nature. 
when you're injured or, or uh, you have a little tweak somewhere, man, I feel it, and I can come back and tell the trainer after the race, look, boss, he was off a little bit in his right front, and I feel it was down low, hmm. either a foot or a shin. You, you've got something brewing, so you need to look for it. And that's what I was known for in the sport and the people that I rode for for all these years. We're speaking with Hall of Fame jockey Gary Stevens here on Touching Greatness on the Believe Podcast Network. And, Gary, it's the only sport where the athlete can't tell us how they feel or if something hurts. So that's the biggest part of the problem. A lot of it is guessing and the expertise of a jockey like you who knows when they feel something is wrong. Or you can look into a horse's eyes, I assume. You tell us. Uh, it's not necessarily you see a dullness in in horses' eyes when they're they're not doing this right. But when I'm sitting on the back, I can't really see yeah, see their eyes unless they rotate their eyes around. And a horse does have 360 degree vision. They are the most amazing animal that that we have on earth. And if they can see 360 degrees, they can rotate their right eye back behind them to see. A predator coming at them, they can look forward with the left eye to see what's coming at them, and their brain is able to process all of that in, in microseconds. So uh, I, I would just feel it was on their back and compare what I felt this week to uh, the week before that I'd been on them. And if there was any noticeable change, then, you know, I knew it was either positive, negative. Uh, maybe some work had been done or a horse was coming off a layoff uh, of an injury and all of a sudden they felt like a new horse. And mind you, when a horse comes off of the layoff, let's say 90 days or whatever, and I, I start the routine workouts uh, every six days, uh, the high-speed workouts, I can feel that difference of a horse uh, progressing forward and improving. But the minute that something goes a, a little bit awry where it's a back step, and it was my job to, to notify the trainer as soon as I got off and said, Bob, something doesn't feel right. Well, over my span of my career, there were certain guys I didn't want to ride for because they didn't listen to my feedback. And the guys that I rode for right up until my final race on November 17th of 2018, those were the only people I rode for, were the people that trusted me and that I trusted in with the horses that I was riding. Because I knew I was 90% of the time I was going to come back safe unless something uh, happened in front of me that I couldn't avoid. But it, it, I always, uh, with the people I rode for, you know, the latter part of my career, they were, they were horsemen that I totally trusted with, with my life, literally. Wow. To finish up on the drugs part, if you were in charge, would you ban everything and just say same day of the race medications? No way. If you need a medication, you're scratched. You, you can't run. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But in saying that, I think that the LASIK situation uh, needs a phasing now. Okay. Um, because it, to me, and, and uh, this is... This is an argument in the horse world that we have to get it's hereditary. Uh, the bleeders, uh, you know, Lasix is a bleeding uh, medication uh, to keep horses from uh, pulmonary bleeding in, in their lungs. And if a horse bleeds so bad that it shows through their nostrils um, and they do it 
more than, than two times because incidents can happen to trigger this besides stress and, and other things. But if they do it twice, they shouldn't be allowed to run. Every other major racing jurisdiction, that is the rule. That's the international rule. If they bleed more than twice in competition, they're ruled off. They can no longer perform. So, um, you know, we get here in the United States because we have the use of Lasix, and, and in certain horses, it can be stopped. But these horses then go on to the breeding shed, and they bleed other horses that do the same thing, their babies do the same thing. Right. And that's something that's being argued out there a lot. So uh, what I would do immediately is what Santa Anita of uh, the California Horse Racing Board has done, and it's banned all race-day medication, all race-day medication, uh, except for the use of Lasix. And that's uh, to be uh, within two years. So... In other words, the, the babies that were born last year in 2018, when they start competing, I believe it'll be 2021, uh, they won't be allowed but, uh, to, to use Lasix. But when they're racing against other horses that, when it, that are sort of grandfathered in, it, that doesn't make sense to me. I think there's got to be a phasing out that makes it official on that certain date. And if you've got a horse that does lead without the use of the medication, then they probably shouldn't be out there. Not probably. They should They should not be out there, period. Wow. It, it's that cut and dry. Okay. And and that's not just perception. That's for, that's for the jockeys that are on their back and the horse that is competing. Horse can, that horse can be, you know, retrained into a jumping-type horse or put into a situation, a pleasure horse. These horses can be retrained and not put in a, a high-stress situation of, of thoroughbred racing that, that may cause them to breed. Yes, the thoroughbred racehorses are bred to run. They're bred to run fast, but some of them can't handle the pressure that they're put under to get to the highest level of their competition. Gary Stevens, you took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say horses are bred to run, not necessarily bred to race. Tell the average human who says, hey, they don't care about the safety of the horses because they're racing them too hard. Ron Turcott told me they would race in the 70s or more in the 60s. He had a horse that ran three times in one week, and he was fine. Why is it different now? Well, we're, we're year-round now, is my quick answer. It's a year-round sport. There's racing everywhere. And... You know, it used to be, and it is today in uh, most of the European countries, the major, uh, England, Ireland, France, uh, their, their major, uh, racing season is just now kicking off. These horses haven't seen competition since our Breeders' Cup. The top horses came over here. They competed at Churchill Downs. They got the winter time off from competition, competitive racing. They were still in training, but they were not in competitive racing. Get rid of some aches and pains. Give, give everything a letdown and start over with them. The training starts in January of bringing them back, bringing them back, and they're ready to race at a top, top level right now in March and moving forward in the coming month. So uh, the same for the jockeys. I mean, they got a break, too. Yeah. I can't remember the last time I had a break uh, other than breaking something in my body and having a force uh, force vacation, but you didn't just take vacations in my sport as a jockey or a horse. 
if they are competing at a high level, they're always finding a race somewhere uh, that that horse can compete in. And you know what? The, the ownership has, has changed. Uh, the owners of these horses, we've got a lot of, of uh, partnerships now uh, that are coming together with multiple, multiple. I'm not talking about three or four people. I'm talking about, uh, you know, 50, 60 owners of, of one horse. And uh, they love the sport, but they don't understand the sport, that these horses aren't machines, they're not cars that you just put gas in, and you tune them up uh, every 5,000 miles, change the oil or whatever, the horse needs to break, and we're not afforded that luxury, you know, in, in Southern California, it's year-round, in Northern California, it's year-round, uh, horses used to get, they used to get paid vacations, after so many races, or so many months of racing, the owner knew, hey, because they were they were horsemen too. The breeders were horsemen, and uh, owners bred to race their horses. We're in competition with the sales companies now and the breeding operations. Now, uh, there's a lot of money exchanging hands at this time of the year with the two-year-olds coming up in the in training horses, multi-million-dollar horses being sold. Uh, just last week, there was a horse sold for $3.2 million that's yeah. never raced before. Uh, and, and it's got multiple owners. Uh, so, in saying that, uh, you, you've got this highly bred horse, uh, a blue blood, that is supposed to be the next champion. And, you know, he's, he's, he or she is going to be trained hard to get to that point of where they need to be. So, I, I think. A lot of people need to take a look in the mirror at, at the injuries that are, are happening right now and, and at our sport in general and move forward to the International Horse Racing Association. Interesting. By the way, uh, I'm going to keep using the word perception because I think the average perception out there, we're talking about equipment now, whips, uh, is that, hey, that's being cruel to the animal. How could you hit the horse so many times in the stretch, blah, blah, blah. You're the one who knows. Tell us what it's about and how that affects the race, and should it be banned? Uh, no, it shouldn't be banned. If they do, they, they are looking for, for more accidents, more problems. And um, Look, the people that are calling for this, political groups, as I've said before, that are well-connected with government, and there's a huge following, um, they don't care about the actual welfare, welfare of the horse. They're, they're animal lovers, but a lot of them think that uh, milking a cow is, is brutal. Well, it, it's not. Um, I'm going to quote a good friend of mine, Nick Locke. I listened to a quote, uh, uh, interview with him last night uh, about the same topic. And look, it, it's the sport of thoroughbred horse racing. Um, you know, I'll compare it to, I probably shouldn't, but I'll compare it to, to football. Football, uh, American football, is, it's here to say for the foreseeable future. Uh, you know, it, it's a brutal game. We are not a brutal game. So the people that say that whips shouldn't be used probably hate horse racing. If they think whips are abusive, they damn sure think that thoroughbred horse racing is abusive. And they want to see the damnation and the end of thoroughbred horse racing. So my point being uh, that the, 
the whiffs right now, and I'm going to call them whiffs, not not crops or whatever. Uh, the jockeys guild has spent a fortune in devising new whiffs, both cushion whiffs that haven't even been brought out to the West Coast right now. But the base like like the Nerf football or or the uh, uh, plastic uh, baseball bats that you would see at uh, Dodger Stadium on on giveaway day. Yeah. The the whip is it's a it's a tool that's used for encouragement to keep you from getting in trouble. These horses see everything. I already talked about the 360 uh, vision. We race in all types of weather, wind, rain, snow, sleet, nice days, but the wind. I didn't mind riding anything on any kind of weather, but the wind, I hated riding in the wind because papers would be blown up, uh, blown by. The sounds uh, were horses have unbelievable hearing. So the sound that Horses here is amplified compared to what we hear. I don't know how many times, but a lot. They hear things that I don't hear. A lot of horses race with cotton in their ears, so they're, they're not afraid to move forward. Uh, you come into this uh, into the stretch on Breeders' Cup Day with 60,000 people up in the grandstand, and I don't have a whip with me to encourage my horse to move forward. I Part of being a jockey is... Uh, anticipation, feeling things underneath you. I talked about feeling things that didn't feel right underneath me. You can also tell when a horse is about ready to shy at something. And the new rules are supposedly going into effect in 45 days in California. You cannot use that whip uh, other than for an emergency situation. Well, I stop emergency situations by anticipation of knowing something's going to happen. <laughs> so now I've got three stewards up on the roof that are judging me and saying, oh, we didn't see anything happening. No, but you didn't feel what I felt. So hmm. I hope that somehow answers your question of, of my feel on that. Um, it, uh, I know I, I talked to uh, about a lot of different things here in the last couple of minutes as, as far as use of the whip. The part that bothers me the most that is uh, seeing horses that are trampling home uh, 30 lengths behind or even five lengths behind that are hopelessly beaten, they're tired. Yeah. And to see a jockey flailing on them, I think they should be banned for three months, a month. Take something, let them know you just did something, and make them watch that film of what they just did. And if they don't get it, ban them for life. If they understand it, then they will they'll, they'll correct that issue of what they just did. But nothing bothers me more than seeing a horse in the morning in a morning workout. I never used the whip in the morning. I always carried one with me and maybe give him a pop on the shoulder, a, a young horse to remind him to move forward. I was in a conversation with my brother on the phone on this topic yesterday. He's still an active jockey and, and just won the George Wolf Award at Great. Uh, San Anita, and, and uh, he's my idol. He's my coach. I said, Scott, if I needed to use a whip in the morning, I probably didn't want to ride that horse in the afternoon. And that's the bottom line. If you have to overuse the whip, uh, you know, the horse is either racing out of his class or he shouldn't be out there or the jockey should be banned from what he's doing. But to take to take that uh, tool 
away from the jockey would be taking uh, away the jockey's saddle, the reins, any piece of safety equipment. That's what that is. It's not a weapon. It's it's a, a tool that is needed in the profession that I had a long career in. Okay, well then what you're saying basically means that track management, whatever track it is, is falling to outside pressure by banning that whip when they should have a guy like you and whoever in the racing business, the experts, get on television, do some national promotions, explain it, and let everybody know the reason you have it. And I've seen a thousand times in a race where you wave it in front of the horse's eyes, too. It's like a little, like, hey, you got to stay to your business, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, I don't want to drop Mike Smith, <laughs> my, <laughs> my, my buddy and uh, fellow Hall of Famer, winner of last year's Triple Crown on Justified uh, in the fire. But uh, we've had conversations about this in the last two weeks, and he has put out there that he wanted to give seminars to the public. Sure. Uh, and, and show them the whips. Bring them in. Everybody welcome. Bring bring your kids. Bring anybody. Do you think anybody spoke about that? Do you think they even considered it? He thought he had an agreement before they had this meeting. He had the fighter to buy the right to buy world stuff. He wasn't here when they made all these changes last week. And he's like, what happened? He, and, and, you know, we've offered ourselves up uh, to, to give seminars, to educate the general public, to educate our future fans in the sport. And, and it's, it, it's been turned uh, to a blind eye and deaf ear. And, and that pisses me off. It's pissing me off right now. And that, there's no excuse for that. And if your game wants its faster demise, that's the way to do it. You can't hide behind what's happened. You have to just embrace the sport and let people know what the truths are. Hey, look, Ted, here's the truth. These horses at Santa Anita, the 23 God rest their souls fatalities, yep. didn't happen because of, of uh, medication on a particular day, and they damn sure didn't happen by whip. We we were overdone with weather. Uh, Santa Anita has not taken responsibility for having a track and racing on field tracks that I considered unsafe for the past 15 years. I everybody who knows about horse racing, knows about my knee problem. I have one prosthetic knee, but I got to where I would not ride on the field race because I couldn't walk for five days after. Wow. And nobody has talked about that. Well, if, if I'm feeling it, it's going through the horse into me. So what's it doing to the horse? Look where we're at right now. Cancel the races. If they've got a field of track to run nine races on a Thursday or even on a Saturday, where there's, there's high-stake money involved, you know what? It's a snow, do- a snow day back east for the kids at school. We're not racing today. We probably would have lost 10 days already because of field tracks, but we wouldn't be talking about the suspension or possible closure of racing in California. But aren't you amongst the people that would agree that the tracks management has changed the surfaces throughout the years for safety purposes, but maybe it just is not something that's been to your satisfaction and should just go back to natural dirt? Well, it is natural dirt right now, but there's so so many different types. I, my feeling is we've got too scientific. 
You yeah, know, that's they, what I mean. They used to not have uh, all these water trucks. They used to pull the the harrows around the track with five tail horses or, or plow horses instead of all the heavy equipment. That they, I have so many opinions about the equipment that they are using, high-tech equipment and the mixtures of, of different kinds of soils into the track. Whatever happened to the same old farming dirt from Northern California that had lice in it and, and uh, get rid of this heavy equipment that's packing down the racetracks and all, all the science. Maybe we've gotten two science. Scientific, and I know I'm talking a lot right now, but I, okay. I'm, I'm blowing up a lot of steam. I've been holding this in for a long time. My opinion's been heard from few, very few. Uh, it hasn't even been asked. Uh, That's crazy. Here over the, the past uh, two months, while this has been brewing, it's been brewing longer than two months. I can tell you that right now. Sure. I think Santa Anita, uh, they, they are trying to do the right thing by the horses. At, at this point, at quit quit worrying about the handle and the number of horses that are running and how often they're running. If they're not running, they're not running for a reason. Uh, and that that's that's the trainer's job is to do, decide when they are going to run. Not the racing office, not management. They've approved these horses to be on the backside. If they're not running, they're not running for a reason. And now that that's been get me wrong, that's been corrected here uh, in the last couple of months, but uh, it's last, I, I'd say, several weeks. Sure. But there's uh, a lot of a lot of things I'm getting off my chest right now that I'm, I'm sure I'm going to hear uh, repercussions again. No, you know what? If, if you out. hear, Gary, truthfully, if you hear repercussions about anything you said just now, then whoever is giving you those repercussions needs to be talked to, because they don't understand more than you do. <laughs> I mean, your life is on the line literally every time you mount a horse. So your safety is just as important as the horses, and so you're out for the betterment of all of it. Absolutely. I, I want to see the sport survive. It's a great sport and the most intelligent, beautiful animal that God put on this earth. That, that, that's my feeling. I'm out there every morning. Every, I was out at Santa Anita this morning, and uh, a fellow uh, horseman that's been in the game a long time, he's actually an agent for uh, Victor Espinosa. Yep. He said, you know, this is life. And I said, what's that? I said, this is like being at a, at a funeral or before oh, the funeral, and everybody's mulling around and just giving pleasantries. They're not smiling or anything, but uh, they're just... They're just there. And I said, yeah, I'm hoping that, you know, you're, that somebody's made a mistake and there's not a body in that cop huh. uh, right now. And if we're just counting on good luck right now, you know, for the, the present future, we're in trouble. I mean, uh, if they don't make changes, there's going to be more, and, and that's going to be the damnation of the end of, of this sport in in. California, and it's just, it's going to I, I want to bring up one more thing from a safety standpoint, Gary, and that's breeding. Um, I don't know much about breeding except for what I've read and talked to people, but I, I've heard this a few times, and I want to get your expert opinion on. They say horses are more bred for speed than endurance 
in the last few decades, whatever amount of time. Is there truth to that, and how much does that come into play in uh, in the fragility of a horse that they're not built the way they used to be? Is there any truth to that at all? There's 100% truth to it. Our, our sport has, has grown to everybody's looking for that justified American Pharaoh Secretariat, uh, that next great horse to go into the breeding shed. And they're basically... Uh, playing the, the stock market, hoping to hit that home run. And with that comes precocity, winning early, and winning the classic as a three-year-old, and then being sold for multi-multi-million of dollars to go to the breeding shed. Uh, so with that, I there's been more speed. There's been, with speed comes, uh, you know, to me, more fragile type, type horse. And uh, I think that, you know, American Pharaoh was, was just coming into his own yeah. when he was retired, but they, with his value, it started, they couldn't afford the insuring and running. It, it was, it just didn't make sense. And when I said that uh, racing is actually uh, at battle or in competition, I shouldn't say battle because one feeds the other, but they're in competition for the for the dollar and the value, and and they they'll pay that money for for the horse that they think is going to be the next American Pharaoh, or justify a triple crown winner that's going to be sold for all this money. Um, and with that, I believe comes fragility. Uh, horses become more fragile. Uh, trust me, American Pharaoh was not fragile. He was an exception, and and I'm I'm not knocking uh, the breeders or anything else. But what I am thinking about is you know with the with the medications and and other equipment that have been used uh you know to uh, speed up recovery of being horse, horses being able to perform on a quicker basis or uh possibly when when there is a, a minor problem uh that may temporarily hide that problem that furthers the, the issue you know, uh, go, you go through a sub toe to a twisted ankle to something else that becomes fatal. It's no good. Well, then breeding is not going to change overnight, and it may never change. But we have to also educate the public on how the horse's fragility comes into play on in this kind of a situation because it's just a reality, and we can't hide from reality. If that's the way it is, people need to understand it. Well, and, and you, you touched on the surfaces. Uh, yeah. The racing surfaces have changed. And, um, and in every state across our 33 different racing jurisdictions here in the United States, we have different kind of soil. Um, when you go from California to New York, you're racing on a, a totally different surface. And, and the great horses, the truly, truly great horses, don't have to carry the surface with with them. They perform on any type of surface. But no horse should ever, in my mind, be exposed to a field racetrack. When they when they feel a racetrack on the East Coast, it doesn't feel like a, a track there in California does. Sure. These tracks are a mixture of, of uh, clay uh, with imported sand on the track, and they feel like a freeway field. The, the racetracks on, on the East Coast, 
Belmont Park in particular, it, it stands. And the harder it rains, uh, the better that track gets. The more packed down it gets, but it's still got give in it. It's still, a horse still will break break through the, the top several inches of that track uh, before they, they hit the base. And that's not the case with the, trust me, <laughs> I'm when, when it sounds like they're running on concrete, it it doesn't sound like that uh, unless they are running on concrete, and that's how hard that track packs. And I'm going to get in trouble for for saying that, but that that's been my experience in, in, uh, over a number of years racing in Southern California. They didn't used to steal the track. Uh, we raced in mud. Horses had superior mud marks in the racing form, a good mud mark, but they just didn't perform in the mud. And you know what? That wasn't a bad thing. When you came out of the out of the starting gate, if a horse didn't like the mud, if he couldn't get across the ball, the horse just looked after himself. Hmm. Any horse will run on that silk surface because they get they get great traction on it. But there's there's a lot of jarring that's going on uh, in concussion. Wow. So this isn't 1970 anymore. Would you? basically do what a lot of other sports do. Hey, if it's raining hard enough to affect the safety of the track, that's it. We're done. We're rained out. What's the problem? Oh, Why is that a problem? Look, we, we do it. And, and I'll go from one extreme. Probably the most non-contact uh, sport that we have out there that has a huge viewership. Uh, unless you hit a tree stump with a golf club. I mean, when it, when it, they have lightning delays. They have rain delays. If the weather affects the outcome to all the players in the game, and they bet on golf like they bet on horses. Yep. They don't have mutual windows, but they have it going on at all the betting stops in Vegas and the way betting's spreading out. I mean, they just can't put uh, until the weather is better and it's, it's good conditions for, for all. And in my view, that's what we need to do in horse racing. You know, I was involved in that uh, Preakness Stakes with uh, American Pharaoh a few years back when we, we not only had lightning, we had uh, we had the, the heaviest rain that I've ever ridden in. I was on firing line for Simon Callahan. I finished second to American Pharaoh, beating a neck in the Kentucky Derby, and I was sitting out on the racetrack, and I'm thinking, are we really going to run in this stuff? Wow. There were lightning bolts going on. Well, uh, we were on a television time. <laughs> yeah, I got you. And uh, I, I told the girl, I, I said, hey, I said, it was an aluminum rail on the inside. And we were standing. It was about five minutes from the start. There's lightning bolts going off. We could see in the not-too-far distance. And I said, do me a favor. I said, can you move away from this rail? <laughs> and the girl started laughing. She said, you got a fake knee. She said, you got a steel knee, and you're worried about that rail? And I just started laughing. It, it, it made no sense that I was sitting out on that racetrack in the downpour that we had. So those are those are things that I, I think need to really be looked at. That we we just take for granted, and the general public takes for granted. It's such uh, a simple answer. It just is. It's just using logic, and now. You're using logic with public perception. You're doing it for safety purposes. That's it. Yeah, it's very simple. And, exactly. And they need, uh, I think, all management from every racetrack uh, across the nation 
needs to really take into consideration of, you know, the safety of the horses first and the jockeys uh, all in one. And even the, the better, our, our game is driven uh, by the paramutual uh, betting, gambling, however you want to call it. It's not fair to them either. Um, you know, if you've got to take a three-hour rain delay or cancel some of the uh, races and, and move them to a different day, you know, a week uh, a week ahead of time, so be it. Just do it. Don't procrastinate. Don't wait. Make the right call. And that's all management. That's all management. Yep, absolutely. A couple of more quick things. Uh, Gary Stevens, Hall of Fame jockey with us here on Touching Greatness podcast on the Believe Network. Uh, Gary, in my book, I wrote... Uh, a substantial chapter on horse racing, what it means to me. And I truly believe, now I'm about 10 years older than you, and you probably saw this race, you tell me. Did you see the match race with Foolish Pleasure and Ruffian? Yeah, I sure did. Uh, you know, I was I was young. But, uh, but do you remember it? I, you remember your emotions? Yeah. Uh, very similar, too. I'll, I'll throw one at you, too, uh, Go for one, breaking down in the Breeders' Cup yep. uh, several years later at Belmont Park. Uh, just devastation and uh, seeing greatness and and uh, you know uh, you know if you think about it, um, one person's five thousand dollar claiming horse is as important to them sure. as uh, Ruffian would have been to those owners that day. Happen to be a lot more publicized, so I, I I think it's important that that people know that uh, hey, some of my favorite horses were the cheapest horses that I rode, but they they loved what they were doing, and and they would go out and and give me what they had to offer on the day to to the highest highest level. Well, the reason I bring it up is because you were too young to know maybe the long-term effect of the ruffian race. But to me, there were 50,000 people at Belmont Park and who knows how many millions watching on TV. And when that happened, I think I call that the ruffian recovery brick wall. That's when everything changed. And the perception of the public was, you know what, I love racing or I, I enjoy watching it, but I can't stomach that. Well, and we experienced it, uh, you know, not not that long ago with eight bells in the Kentucky Derby. Yep. Uh, I think that a lot of people had, had forgotten about uh, Ruffian and, and Go For One. And, um, there will, unfortunately, be others. But I think we can we can do a lot to advance this sport. And, and the biggest thing with me, and I'll keep ranting and raving about it, is to go to the International Horse Races Association rules of no race day drugs. And actually, also the whip rules uh, that that they have there. You know, in, in England, it's a limit of, of eight strikes with the whip or eight reminders with the whip. France has gone to five. You know, I could live with five. I, I, I participated with it, and I did just fine. Um, you know, some years ago, we, that was 1999 when, when we had uh, rules in England with the whip. Hmm. Um, but they've never been allowed race days, um, medications. And we see the horses come over and participate, the European horses, and they, they kick the crap out of, 
on the turf in the turf basin. Right. And yes, they do come over. And these horses have been racing all year long without Lasix in Europe. Yet they come to America, and they they choose to use Lasix. Well, obviously, it's doing something else other than stopping them from bleeding. They were getting their butts kicked when they came over here originally, racing against uh, horses on Lasix. So now when they come over, they put their horses on Lasix as well. Hmm. There are very few. One of the greatest horses that I've ridden in my career uh, that I won the Malibu Stakes on, and I believe it was uh, 2014, 2013 or 14, uh, was Run Half. Uh, the only horse in America that ran completely drug-free. And he's now standing at Sud, a Claiborne farm. And uh, he was undefeated, set sports track records. His career wasn't long, but uh, the reason it wasn't long, because he, he got too valuable as well. But he, he raised some zero uh, medication and proved that he uh, could race at the highest level and, and uh, not only compete, but win against the best. One more thing, Gary Stevens. If I were the czar of racing, I would immediately create a national commission to oversee everything. You'd have the same rules applying to every track, every trainer, and I would continually have my best spokespeople selling the game, and it's good, it's bad, whatever, to the general public, because they have to fully understand what all the risks are, because there are risks. That's part of the game, and while always showing them how we're trying to make it safer and better for everyone involved, and we need passionate people who aren't afraid to speak the truth, which is why I have you with me today, and while always stressing their compassion for the animals, those around them, Gary Stevens, if that doesn't work, I don't think anything will. Uh, you're 100% right, and uh, only time's going to tell, but we don't have a lot of time. Yep. Um, this is this didn't happen overnight, but the damnation of it did happen overnight. And if we don't, um, if our so-called head of uh, all 33 of our jurisdictions don't come with what you've just said, then... We won't, we won't see it much in the near future. Everybody's looking for a simple solution. There is none. The only solution is, I think, is to be open and honest about what's going on in the sport and let people understand it and then just hopefully appreciate it. I agree. Did 100%. I, I talked my, my views on <laughs> uh, med- medications, uh, use of the whip, and, and the need for... Uh, nationalization of uh, acquiring the International Horse Racing Association's rule. Hmm. It's very simple. Very simple, not a quick fix, long-term fix, and perhaps that will uh, satisfy some of the naysayers of of our sport and bring them on board and allow us a a chance to educate the younger people in, in the beauty of our sport. And by the way, uh, we didn't mention one thing, too. We talked about the track surfaces, but we did lose a half a dozen horses on the turf as well. So it's not just about the dirt. So there's more to it than that, right? Well, no, not really, because uh, you have to remember that these horses that uh, have had their injuries on the turf, they train on the dirt. Okay. They're not allowed to, to train on the, on the turf floor. So it, it's my view 
that uh, there has been the start of something by training on the uh, on the main track that uh, have caused uh, what may have started out a minute problem that at high speed uh, a misstep has caused uh, that that minute problem turn into a, a fatal problem. Wow, interesting. Hall of Fame jockey Gary Stevens, it has been a true pleasure to have this conversation with you. I respect your opinions and your passion so much, and this is just way too important. We need to let everybody know what's going on here, and we need to get to the get to the bottom of it and allow the reality of horse racing, what it is, to just evolve continually. Well, I, I appreciate giving the time, Ted, and... Uh... I, I hope that this conversation helps out somewhat. Uh, I hope somebody's gotten close. A lot of people have got my back out there. But, uh, right now, I've got my, my fingers crossed, and that's all I can do is cross my fingers right now. And when, when I'm sitting at a blackjack table, I, I like to play blackjack. Okay. That's the only card game I like to play. Crossing my fingers doesn't really help very often, so <laughs> some pairs some would help as well. Well, again, I appreciate the time. All the best, and uh, racing luck is good in all of life, isn't it? Yes, it is. Thanks, Gary. Thanks, Dad. We certainly need more people like Gary Stevens who are willing to speak his mind and help and save the sport he loves. This is down to truth now, folks, and not playing any marketing games. Hopefully the powers that be will listen to a lot of the words that Gary had to say and then put all their heads together and do this the smart way, that is to pay attention to what is best for the sport of kings in the long run. You can follow Gary Stevens at GaryStevens underscore jockey on Instagram, and of course I'm also on Instagram at Ted Sobel Sports and at the same at Ted Sobel Sports on Twitter. Thanks for joining this very important podcast of Touching Greatness and please listen to my more than 20 minutes with veteran LA Times sports editor and columnist Bill Dwyer on the same subject as he has some wonderful takes as a man who's covered the sport for decades. Thanks again for listening and supporting Touching Greatness. I am still Ted Sobel and talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.